If you look at your paper, just look at the very, 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 very top thing. No matter what else is on there. Revelation, the seven churches. And just tonight, as I was getting up here, actually, a thought hit me. Uh, how does God see us in all of these things we're looking at? We're talking about seven churches, right? And... And what are some things that we know are in each one in general when he's talking about it? What, what have we learned is, is in there with the churches? I'm going to drink my tea while y'all think about that and come up with an answer. What's the first thing? Well, you can look at the piece of paper and see some of the stuff. Uh, I give you some background information that's not in the text, but what's the first thing in the text? Yeah, a, a description of, of who Jesus, how he wants to address that church. The very first thing is to the church at, so he addresses the church. And then, so that, those are a couple of things that are alike. And then if there's something good to say, that comes, right? And then if there's something bad to say, that comes. One didn't have any good and one didn't have any bad. Um, and then what, how does it end? Yeah, at the end of every one, he encouraged, if you got to hear, in other words, if you can understand this, to understand it, pay attention to it. Um, I think it's kind of common in the military. It seems I've run across this. I'd need to, like Pete and anybody else been in the military. But uh, it seems like in the military, a lot of times when a superior is telling a lower-ranked person something, they'll say, you might want to write that down. That, that, that seems to be a reoccurring phrase that people say. That's important. You might want to write that one down. Um, and uh, that's more than just the military, but I've read that a lot in there. People telling stories, uh, they've got told that a lot. And I, th I find that last phrase, that's what I think of every time I hear it. If you've got ears here, you better listen to that. You better write that one down. This is a good one. Um, but at the end, there's always a promise too, right? So let me go back to my original question. How does God see us when, we're in, in, when he's talking to the churches? How is, let me ask it, let me ask two other questions to help get us back to that one. How is Calvary Baptist Church that you're sitting in the building of not like these churches? That's, yes. I, I was thinking a little more philosophically, but yes. Let's, let's start with the obvious. When solving a problem, never overlook the obvious or the stupid. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so location. How else are we different? Yes. Yeah. Now that well, I was I was about to say they would have been written by them, but I just learned this week that first, second, third John was probably written after Revelation. I thought Revelation was last, but it's not. Same same human author for first, second, third John. Is revelation all right so yeah uh, we've got we've got a more complete account uh, written down but think more philosophically how are we different or structurally or I don't know the right word to use just just expand your mind a little bit how are we different and actually I can say it in a very modern kind of secular way but 
How's, what's that? Okay, yeah. Well, I'll, thank you. Right. They, they couldn't have gotten together as much, all of them. I'm sorry, the, the answer was um, that we can all, as a member of this particular church, meet together at one time in one place. We have the facilities to do that. And in their day, they, in general, couldn't do that. They, they might meet in a field or, uh, I don't know if they could ever rent some uh, pagan uh, coliseum. I doubt they would have, but... Um, so they didn't have large gatherings as much as we do. They might, they might, but it wouldn't be in the comfort like we have it. That's very true. So we have the advantage of one guy teaching a lot of people when they had to have a lot of guys teaching a lot of people. But if you were here this morning, you heard it's better if you have a lot of guys teaching a lot of people. That's, all, that's always better than having one guy teach everybody, having a lot of people teaching a few is always better because um, it's more personal. You get more, uh, get more in depth. Here's, here's what I was hoping somebody would say, all right? Um, we're not the only show in town. We've, in this city, you have Calvary Baptist Church, you have Calvary Methodist Church, you have Calvary Assembly of God Church. You can't just say Calvary here. You can't say just Calvary in any town in the South. There's got to be at least two or three in every town, right? I, I heard a, a pastor of another Calvary Baptist Church, just an SBCV, I... I counted it one time, but it's like five, six, seven Calvary Baptist churches. And uh, one that is the Calvary Baptist in uh, Buena Vista, oh no, Alta Vista. Uh, he said, yeah, we're just, we're a satellite church from the other Calvary. You know, it's just like, there's so many of us, but then we've got other Baptist churches. We have other of those denominations I named. And, the, and here you have, if, if we were living New Testament times and we were, that church, it wouldn't be us necessarily, but all the Christians would be together and be the church, the church at Stanton. That would be what we'd be called, right? So I guess we took our little individual errors, <laughs> I'm using that word tongue-in-cheek, but our individual distinctives, and we broke off into different groups throughout history. So now you got Baptists. We, we, Baptists just like to fight everybody. I think I might have said that earlier, but uh, we just, we just, we're fighting people, so, um, but I've learned, because i got friends in other denominations, we got the same problems they do. So, let me come back to my original question then, how does God see us? If we're not the only show in town, how does God look at us? And I'm thinking about how we've already learned how he looks at these churches, how does he look at Calvary? And I'll just say Calvary for us from now on to save time, but. So we are, yes, I think I know what you're saying. Say it again. She said we are one. What do you mean? Okay, uh, we said when God addresses the church, he's addressing the church in any area. Um, and, and we kind of say that uh, in modern times, 
to help emphasize uh, the fact that in every localized church of any denomination, there are people in there that are actually saved and going to heaven, and there are people in there that are actually not saved and are not going to heaven. Um, we call that the unregenerate membership. That's a, that's a big, nice way to say there's people or members of churches that are going to hell. And, and whether they misunderstood or we missed something in helping them or something like that, uh, I guess it, it could be a lot of different things. But, but God does see the church as the church. There is not any of the denominational distinctives, which leads me to another question. We may get to Thyatira next week. Um, I just, I just want to, as we're looking at this, we've got to kind of understand some of these things. Is there room inside, because this is a Thyatira's problem, um, a little bit. Is, is there room inside a church to have some different ideas about some, some things that are in the Bible and us all still be okay together? Some of the denominations split out for stuff that is, we, we say all conservative people believe this, and you know, which, which is a way of saying all conservative theologians, they could be Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist, whatever, agree on this. And, and we kind of, there's some things that we don't change. Uh, that, number one, that we believe the Bible is the Word of God. It doesn't contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God, is how Baptists say it. Um, and it is truth with no mixture of error. That's the Southern Baptist way of saying it. So we believe the Scripture. We also believe all Scripture points to Jesus. To us, that's a fundamental that we don't compromise. Um, <laughs> I don't need to tell you all stories. Um, anyway... Um, another truth is that man is hopelessly lost. And man became lost in the garden that God created Adam and Eve, their actual people, and that Adam and Eve rebelled against God and sin came on man and sin has been passed down through men to every man that's ever been born. So we agree on that. All men are totally helpless uh, uh, apart from Christ. We are all lost. Therefore, man needs a... Thank you, Yes. So a man needs a savior. That savior is the second person of the Trinity. So when you're, when you're reading a big theological book, a big theology book, you, can, you study, it's called theology proper, which is, that just means, because theology means the study of God. So you're studying the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity in one, the one that is three, and you study that. That's theology proper. Then all the other stuff is just theology. And so we need to understand who God is, who Christ is, who the Holy Spirit is and how they work together in us, but we need the Savior who is the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, the Son who put on flesh, died, lived a sinless life, born of a virgin. That's very, that is critical. If Mary wasn't a virgin uh, until Jesus was born, we can't be saved. All right? And I'll tell you why. Because sin is passed on by the man. That's just basically what we get out of Scripture. And um, because it's a blood disease, we have sin. And men are the, the determiner of the baby's blood, not the wo woman. The blood the mom and the baby never mix because they'd kill both of them. They, they pass on either side of a thin wall in the blood vessels of the umbilical cord. And through that, they get oxygen and nutrition. But the blood doesn't touch. Um, God designed it that way. And so Jesus had no earthly father. Thank you. Exactly. He had a heavenly father. Four ways a human being 
can come into existence. Without a mother and father, with, without a mother, without a father, or with a mother and father. The, the one without a, a human father was Jesus. The one without a human mother was Eve. The one without a mother or father was Adam. And the rest of us come the other way. All right? So that's just something to think about. So we believe that, that man is lost, man needs a savior, that savior is Christ. And we believe that Jesus was God who put on flesh, lived among us, lived a perfect life, died in our place on a cross. He didn't die for his own sin. He was sinless because he didn't have an earthly father. He never sinned, so therefore he was still sinless when he went to the cross. He died for our sins, which is what the weight of the cross, we, we make a, sorry, this is a soapbox. This, I'm actually getting on a soapbox now. We make a big deal about the physical suffering of Christ on the cross. I think that's important. But more importantly is, is the uh, spiritual and emotional t pressure on him. He took the sin of all men, of all mankind, of all time on himself. And that, that's why his, he, he was bleeding blood because his capillaries were popping under the stress. His heart exploded in his chest. That's why when they stuck him, blood and water flowed out. It, it, his heart literally exploded in his body. And, and so he died in our place. Sorry, I just, I got to get that out because it's whew, so meaningful. Was buried, and three days later he got up. He ascended into heaven, and he's fixing to come back. Everything else is up for grabs. <laughs> that is the main stuff. And we can talk about the other stuff. Because it's important, but we create denominations on when you're supposed to baptize. And listen, Baptists died for this. Um, what did you tell me today? She was reading something. Oh, one of the reasons they killed John Huss is because about second, it was about the sing book. They, one of the reasons they martyred John Huss is he wanted the congregation to sing. Think about that. Did you know they fired Jonathan Edwards because he wouldn't allow uh, some youth who weren't acting right to do, be part of something they were doing? And the parents got mad and got him fired. Smartest man who ever walked the shores of the United States. One of the greatest sermons ever in history, much less in the history of the United States. He got fired because some parents of teenagers got ticked at him. I've heard that, that song's got a gazillion verses. <laughs> That's why I was never a youth pastor. I'd be talking to parents. But anyway, so, so our churches, we've gotten so many churches and so out there, we lose that idea, right, of that it is one church, and there's one true church. I, I thank God I went to school with people of other denominations. I didn't go to a Baptist school, which some Baptists used to look, poorly at me, but now they don't so much. We've gotten over that a little bit. Because I heard their perspectives, I heard what they did, and my last year in seminary, I was roommates with a Presbyterian and a Charismatic. So that was fun. Um, and the only argument was between me and the Presbyterian, Charismatic just loved everybody. So it, it kind of worked that way. In fact, I was, I was having a stressful time one day, and I won't go into that, but I came running in the room, and I said, ba -da -da -da, and I was about to run back out, and he said, stop, get on your knees. Came over with a Bible, opened the Bible, put his hand on me. I didn't get up for 30 minutes, man. He just stood there, and he prayed over me for 30 minutes straight with his hand on my head. 
got up, I was a perfect piece. He just, he was that kind of guy. It was a blessing. Um, so we got more in common than we have separate, but there are some things we still want to say. We won't let go of this. We stand for this because we see it in Scripture. This is, the, this is right in the Bible. We ought to do it this way. Um, but as one wise man said to me once, God will bless most anything. He has to because uh, we don't give him a whole lot to work with. But back to my original question, within these churches, he's not saying, um, I'll use my name because I don't want to say a name that be somebody's name in here. Um, you know what? All of y'all are okay except Stuart. And y'all need, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to judge Stuart. rest of y'all are okay. He's going, to the church, I'm saying this. You are allowing this. You see what I'm saying? He's putting, he's putting the responsibility on the church as a whole. He sees us as a body. And if we allow one part to be in sin, and I'm going to use that term broadly right there, I, I, you know, because some people will think the fact I just took off my jacket into here is a sin. And you say, nobody in here does. I didn't say y'all did. I said, there are people who would. Okay. But somebody who is blatantly disobeying the word of God, the, the scripture, ought to be corrected, right? And, and, and so when the church fails to act in accordance to the Bible, God says, I got this against you. Because he holds us all responsible together. That's why we're responsible to each other. That's why we have fellowship. Fellowship is to help each other look more like Jesus. And that's why we talk about things. We... we learn about things, we agree together to figure things out and to do them. Theological ideas, some things that we might disagree with, um, you know, there, there are issues in churches that, that we might not agree with, but hey, uh, you know, that's you. But we can't afford to, take, to let that go because that's the problem in Thyatira. So let's look at Thyatira. All right, man, I spent a good long time there. And even though it's three pages... Some of it goes quickly. I just, I, I just put a comment on most every word in the, in the passage. Let me just tell you real quickly about Thyatira. It's written there. Um, it's not super important, but you need to know uh, that it was the least important of the seven churches in Asia. In other words, it, Thyatira, it, you know, it, it wasn't a big deal. Um, they were not a religious or a political center, but what they were important about was trade. Um, you could make money in Thyatira, and they were important for trade. Um, and also, and, and this is where the problem in Thyatira is going to come from, is their, it says, I wrote it out trade, but it's really their manufacturing, what the, their, their trades are. That word trade is not meant to mean like I exchanged it with you. It meant this is a trade, like making wool cloth, okay? Um, so, and then there are also some Jews there that troubled the church, but um, he doesn't make a huge deal out about that, about that. So there it is. They had many trade guilds. They had guilds that would um, uh, do one certain thing. Um, and what an interesting note, purple cloth was one of those trades. And Lydia, uh, who is Lydia? A purple pusher, right. Who said that? <laughs> Did Jeff say that? That was good. What? Yeah, Lydia the tattooed lady. No, 
Who is Lydia? She, she owes a distinction, yes. Yeah, that's Lydia right there. That she was, but she holds even higher distinction in Scripture. Yes, the first convert in Europe. Yep. When, when Paul wanted to go to China, toward China, and the Holy Spirit said, nope. He said, oh, well, let me go this way. And the Holy Spirit said, nope. And he said, well, man, what, what's going on? He went to sleep, and in the dream, saw the man of Macedonia say, come help us. And he said, discerning that it was God's will, we went that way. If Paul had went the way he wanted to go, if God had blessed him, we'd all be speaking Chinese. But instead, he turned left and went this way, and the gospel went to Spain and France and Europe. Uh, before Paul's death, even, uh, the Roman soldiers took it up there. And, uh, and so Christianity went westward and then over to us. Um, and she was the very first convert. When he got over there, there were some women praying by the riverside. And he went and joined with them. And who you praying to? Let me tell you about God's son, Jesus. They got saved. Lydia was the first convert. And so the very first church. Women are very, very, very um, vital, important, um, foundational to the spread of the spread of the church and the gospel. Um, so it's kind of interesting that, that she could have been part of that, and I put the reference there. The Gills, uh, and here's, here's where, you've got to give you this background so you catch it. They would, if, so let's say I'm in the Silver Statue Guild. I make silver gods, little god statues. Um, so we would get together, and all the silver god statues would uh, guild. We'd get together, and we'd have a big meal that wound up in debauchery and, and, and uh, just immorality. They, they get together, have a big old party, get drunk, and do bad things. Well, Christians, they're not going to be making idols, but they would be part of some sort of guild where not everybody in there is a Christian. I mean, you know, if you're weaving cloth, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to not do that just because the other people that do that aren't Christians. So they would be a part of that, and so this is where the problem we're going to see in a little bit comes from. Um, those, because those meals were usually dedicated to a God they were serving, and if you had a trade, you had to join a guild. It was like a union. Um, if you don't join the union, you can't do it. And uh, uh, I, I'm not speaking about unions. I'm just saying that's how it worked. Um, so here was the question. Should a Christian participate in a guild dinner that will probably end in debauchery and unbridled licentiousness? And the church would say, no, you shouldn't go to those. All right. Well, Ephesus avoided it. Ephesus said, don't do it, and, but Ephesus also became very um, uh, ugly about it. Thyatira didn't get ugly enough. Pergamum had those uh, that advocated, yeah, it's fine. We don't believe in these false gods. Sure, they can do that. They can make a false god because what's the big deal? And so Ephesus and Pergamum handled it differently than Thyatira. They did it a different way. So let's look. How did Jesus identify himself here? So if you've got a bunch of trades built making false gods, the Son of God's got a word for you, right? Um, that's, and we see that there in uh, verse uh, 18. Thank you. The numbers start to blur sometimes. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire 
and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Um, he reveals himself as this, uh, I'm going to use a word, but if you think of the technical ref- definition of it, our God is an awful God. That, that word technically, we say awful, we mean bad, but that means he is a terror. He is a terrible God. He is all-powerful and all-consuming and a burning fire. But he's our dad, so we don't worry about it. He's our father. But thank God we got a father that everybody else is scared of, right? Uh, He's just dad to us. Um, uh, So God is called the father of Christ in chapter 1, verse 6, chapter 2, verse 27, chapter 3, verse 5 and 21, and chapter 14 and verse 1. This is the only place in Revelation where he's called the Son of God, um, which is kind of unusual, but they got it in, so that's good. God is called the Father of the believers only in 21.7. He doesn't identify with us until 21.7. If you look at John 15, the, the vine and the branches, Jesus set it up in the beginning verses as, I am the vine, you are the branches, and the Father is the husbandman. He's the keeper of the branches. It is God that corrects and prunes, but it's Jesus who feels it when he does because he is the vine and we're the branches. He identifies with us rather than with the Father in that passage. Do you, under, do you understand that God wanted to identify with us to save us that we could then identify with him and be his children? Christ accomplished that. He's the mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. He became that man. Well, he reveals himself to Thyatira as the son of God. Like, you know, I, I, I identify with you, but you, you better pay attention to some things here uh, is what we're going to see. So the title of Christ correlates with Psalm 2. Um, if you got your Bibles, as I learned as a little kid, Psalm's about in the middle. So if you open your Bibles to the middle, you'll be close to it. If you, if you don't know exactly how to find it quickly. And if you... And if you don't know any other way, there's a table of contents in the front, and that's always a good way to find what you're looking for. But in, but in Psalm 2, and I'm, I just made a note there, and then after I made this note, I heard a, a sermon this week um, that was on Psalm 2. Okay. What does verse 27 say? In chapter 2? In Revelation... <laughs> In Revelation 2, there's no verse 27. I didn't say Psalm 2. I said it. Okay, listen to what I wrote. Everybody listen carefully. Um, Of Psalm 2. I mean, of Revelation 2. Psalm 2 is quoted in verse 27 of Revelation 2. All right, so what does verse 27 say? And he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority. Now, we'll see that. Uh, we'll come and talk about that later. But I want you to catch something else in Psalm 2, and that, and that is part. Why do the heathens rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth, listen to verse 2. The kings of the earth, and by the way, Psalm 2 is our basis for missions. All right? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. 
So the kings of the earth, every ruler on earth gets together and says, we are sick and tired of God poking his nose in our business. And they are going to overthrow God. And God's response is, <laughs> that's his response. Man, you in trouble now. <laughs> okay, that's his, that is what I want you to feel in Revelation here at Thyatira. The Son of God, flaming eyes, burnished bronze feet. You can hurt somebody with burnished bronze, you know that? that, that that'll break some stuff. That's some heavy footwork. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. He will speak to them in wrath and terrify them uh, in his fury, saying, As for me, I've set my king my, uh, on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell the degree, Lord said to me, you're my son. Today I've begotten you. So it's about the Messiah, Jesus. Ask of me and I'll make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. That verse is why we do missions. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And there's where it's quoted in verse 27 of Revelation 2. That's the verse that's quoted. But did you catch that? The earth, Jesus Man, I would take th three more hours. Jesus died to restore the right, his rights on this planet. And then he chose the church to bring the world back to him. Okay? We are the ones that are assigned with giving the message that Jesus died so you could be part of his kingdom. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Because in the end, you're either with the sheep or the goats. You're either going to heaven or hell. There's no in-between. So that, that is the feeling, that is the idea of, the, of this identity of Christ. Um, and this alludes back to chapter 1, verse 14, where he's revealed that way. Um, so I think I said everything I need to say that. And then here's the positives in verse 19. He says, I know your works, your love, your faith, service, and patient endurance. So they've been enduring. They've been patient. Um, they have good works. Th these things seem to be growing because he says, your latter works exceed the first. That's not usually the way it is, is it? Usually, you know, everybody's excited. I've just seen this in, in church and other places. You know, uh, like, I, I'm... I'm, I'm vacillating between made-up stuff and actual stuff. But I, I, I'll, I'll go back to our last church because none of y'all were there, and so I won't offend you. Well, maybe one person was there. but So we, we decided, we, the um, Salvation Army, I think it was, did this dinner for indigent people downtown. You remember that was at Salvation Army? Man, when, the first time we did it, it was about 50 people. We went down there. We served their dinner and all of that. And after a couple of years, it was, hey, we need some help with getting this dinner together, right? Not Thyatira, man. They started with 50 and grew to 500. They didn't, they didn't back up. They went forward with all those good things. You know, the, the, the law of entropy takes place in most people where you get all excited and it's like, Ugh, it kind of wanes. But that's, he's complimenting them. Man, you didn't do that. You grew in your love. You grew in your service you grew in your patient endurance they had love I, I i wrote this out that you have love for christ for each other and for the lost and that that is a great 
that's not original with me. That is a great formula, right? Who should we love? We ought to love God? Absolutely. We ought to love each other, and we ought to love the lost. When people are lost, they need the Savior. You know, you, when you were lost, you were no less lost than the worst sinner in the world. And when you're saved, you're no more saved than the greatest saint in the world. You understand that? We all had the same need. There's a story. Um, well, I'll just tell it. I don't mean to offend anybody, no matter where you come from or what, what you believe about all this. But there is a story, I don't know if it's true or not, after the war between the states where uh, Robert E. Lee went into a church and went to kneel and a former slave walked up and knelt beside him. And somebody tugged on his coat and said, General Lee, General Lee, you see who you're kneeling beside? He said, all ground is level at the foot of the cross. Now, he believed that. He didn't believe, he, I mean, he didn't, he didn't believe uh, the slaves were less than men. He just had different reason for fighting. What's that? It is true or? Help me because you know better than me. didn't hear that it was actually a, a, a black gentleman who went forward to take communion at what church St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Richmond Virginia and nobody would go up and and Robert E. Lee walked up beside him and said all ground is level at the foot of the cross pretty awesome um, most people don't know that that want to do weird things but anyway um, they had faith they were holding on to the truth of God they served each other which is a manifestation of love if you, you can't, you can serve without loving, but you can't love without serving, okay? Um, I've heard that said, and it's true. And they had a patient endurance. And look how I wrote it. They're not compromising, dot, 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 yet. <laughs> they're headed there, they're headed there, and their latter works exceeded uh, uh, the, the first works. So... Um, how do, how do you feel about how you have grown in your faith, your love, and your service? And how do you feel we as a church have done that? Some of you are very new. You don't know where we came from. Numbers don't matter. What matters is, are we like Christ? And the more we're like Christ, God handles the rest, right? We're, we're responsible for the depth of ministry. God's responsible for the breadth of ministry. And so we need, to, we need to be discipled. We need to continually be discipled. We need to be discipling others. We need to grow in love for God, love for others, love for the lost. Um, these people had grown in their faith and Christian virtues. Well, so should we, right? Do you agree with that statement? Okay, yeah, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a Sunday school, not, you know, softball statement. But yeah, absolutely. But I, I, I don't know if you ever thought about it that way. I don't think I think about it that way much. I, I, I talk in generalities, but has my love grown? My love for God grown? Has my love for other people grown? Has my, you know, I, I think sometimes we get caught up in what we commonly hear, and we talk about people who are trapped in a sin as if they're less than human and they are the worst thing in the world. 
We have one enemy, and his name is Satan. Now, he's got some compatriots, but we'll just call them all in that one big group, right? That's our only enemy. And God sent us to help mankind be redeemed and come back to Christ. So we ought to have a love for them and hate the devil and hate sin. You know, I've had church people say, you shouldn't say you hate the devil. The Bible says don't hate anybody. God says he hates, he hates things. It's not ungodly to hate. You just got to hate the right things. And, uh, and Satan is it. That's who we ought to hate. So now we get to the negatives. And this is where it gets a little sticky in Thyatira. I've set it all up. They've got trade gills. There's st stuff happens. But they have a tolerance. Notice that word. Uh, let's find that word. Um, verse 20. But I have this against you that you tolerate. Isn't that a... Isn't that, a, 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 a that word was very popular a couple of years ago. Now we're not to tolerate. We have to accept it, right? But it started with tolerate. And it's going to be the same for Thyatira. God's stopping them at tolerate. You're tolerating something you shouldn't tolerate. If you keep going, you're going to accept it as okay. That we've seen, uh, gosh, we've got a thousand examples all around us every day. So I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. All right, who can tell me who Jezebel was? Ahab's wife. Who was Ahab? King of Israel, meaning the northern kingdom after they split, right? Um, what, is some, what are some things Jezebel is famous for? Yep, uh, she got, uh, she, she was a big Baal worshiper, and, and, uh, and so when, uh, help me get it out, Stu. Was it uh, Elijah that, yeah, Elijah faced the, the prophets of Baal on top of Mount Carmel. Where Stephen's van had first lived in Israel, you could see Mount Carmel for them, from their apartment. He goes, oh, that's, sorry, that's the Carmel Mountains over there. That's probably the one he was on. Um, so he met up with 400 prophets of Baal. And uh, if you don't know that story in the Old Testament, it's an awesome story. There are great stories to tell kids in the Bible. And he goes, looking, I said, y'all go first. What? We'll, we'll have two sacrifices today, and, but you can't light it. You just got to set it up, and then we'll ask our God, different gods to, to set it on fire. So they built this thing, and they put the bull or whatever they put up. They had all kind of dry tender wood up there, and they all day prayed to Baal to, to light that thing up, and it never lit up. So much so, Elijah starts mocking them. Yell louder. Maybe he's asleep. Need you to wake him up. Did you all know that Elijah literally said, the Bible says it kind of nicely, but I got a feeling he didn't say it this nicely. He might be in the bathroom. Yell louder, so he'll come on out. <laughs> I mean, he is really getting down and dirty with them. And then at the end of the day, he said, well, that didn't work. They're cutting themselves. Do you notice, y'all know that's a thing with kids. A few years ago, you heard about it a lot. I, but where kids will cut themselves, the demoniac in the in gatherings, he cut himself. The prophets of Baal cut themselves. It's a demonic influence that causes that. Um, and anyway, so he said, all right, you've had your turn. He built, uh, Elijah built his altar, dug a trench around it, filled the trench with water, filled, poured water on it. It hadn't rained in three and a half years. He is wasting water. Everybody's freaking out just because he's pouring water on it. 
pours water after water after water till it's filled in the trench and all, and then he calls out to God and whoop. I mean, even the water caught on fire. Now, that's hot. That's God fire there, right? And then he killed the over 400 prophets of Baal. Jezebel was not happy with him. So he had to run. He had to run. And so Jezebel was a wicked queen. Her husband was a king. And this, uh, it was a, Naaman? What was the guy's name? Naaman. Okay, good. Mary, Mary's now my new concordance. I found that out. I'm glad. Um, there was a guy named Naaman. He had a vineyard. And, and the king Ahab wanted his vineyard. He said, sell me your vineyard. And what the, what the Jewish people inherited when they came into the, into the promised land, you were supposed to keep that in your family. Because this is your family land from now on. And, of course, some people sold it and did some stuff. But this guy was one of those purists. This is our land. We got this from God. I'm not selling it. And so Ahab came back. He was a wimpy king. He comes back and cries and says, why are you crying? Naboth. Yeah, N-A-B-O-T-H. Naboth. That's it. And, and so, um, and, and so, oh, I want to Naboth's vineyard. And he won't give it to me. He said, aren't you the king? And so she just sent some guys to kill the dude and take the, the vineyard. And uh, so God, God says, I got, I got you, girl. Uh, I, you're going to die. And you're not even going to get buried because the dogs are going to eat you, lick up your blood, which is what happened. They threw her off of, eventually threw her off a wall and she broke into pieces. I, there's a whole gullah preacher story about that, but I won't do that. Um, and, uh, and the dogs ate her body. Well, there's a woman in this church that is acting like Jezebel. So he calls her Jezebel just to identify her. Now, people in the church knew who he's talking about. You know how you do that? <laughs> you know there's somebody that everybody goes, we know who you're talking about, just say the name. Well, John just calls her a Jezebel because, why? Because she's leading people to worship idols, right? And leading them in morality because that is part of idol worship of the gods of the Old Testament, which are the same gods we have today in the New Age movement. They're exact same gods. The exact same practices, the exact same things, necromancers and spells and crystals and all that mess. It's all the same gods that were in the Old Testament. And here he calls her a Jezebel and he says who calls herself a prophetess. Now, this is a good opportunity to talk about some of those distinctives we argue about. Can a woman be a prophetess? Good Baptist? Absolutely. There were four daughters of one man who prophesied to Paul and told him the right thing. If you go to Jerusalem, you're going to die. He went, I know that. You don't have to tell me that. God told me that. I don't need you to tell me. So in the New Testament, prophets were very necessary. All right? Let, let me help you with this. This is the simplest explanation I ever had. What spiritual gift, that gifts are in the Bible, is denied women in the Bible? We could sit here all night, and you come up with the same answer. None. Now, isn't pastoring a spiritual gift? Yep. Can women have that gift? Yep. They pastor their children. They pastor other women. They shepherd them. They help them, right? The Bible's, in the way, this is a Baptist distinctive. Not all Baptists, because there's some that don't do this. But it says in Timothy, 1 Timothy 3, that the elder, the pastor, is to be the husband of one wife, and that the deacon is to be the husband of one wife. There are women in the Bible called deacons. Why? Because the word deacon means servant. She, was served, she served people, so she was a deacon, but she didn't have the office of a deacon. There are women who spoke and preached and 
prophesied, but they didn't have the office of a pastor. It's a, it was a flow of authority, not a flow of ability. You follow me? So it's okay. As if a woman, the, the principle is for a woman to be under authority. I got some examples, but I won't share them because um, it doesn't matter. But, so that's, that's where Baptists come at it. Do we think women are less? Not at all. It's just how we do it, okay? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So why would I... Br- yeah. That, it's a great point. It is a great point because that, that leads us into it. Because in our world today, that's a controversy. It wasn't then. A prophet was very, or prophetess, was very important in the New Testament. So she claimed to be a prophet, so people, oh, they'd listen to her. Didn't matter if she's a woman or not. But she happened to be a woman, so he says this, this false prophetess, Jezebel, she called herself a prophet, but she wasn't. She was a false prophet. She, she was teaching idolatry i only yeah, that was a great question i'm glad you asked it the only reason i made a big deal out of that is because they would tend to listen to her because of what she claimed to be hey i'm a, if you got to announce who you are you're probably not <laughs> that's that's the idea right so this one i'm a prophet you got to listen to me and some people go really we got them today we got false preachers today don't we false teachers they're on tbn 24 7 they're all over the place i don't I don't know who all is on TBN, so I probably shouldn't have said 24-7, but they're there a lot. So this woman is, is leading them into sexual immorality and the worship of idols. And, um, and some people are tolerating her. And, and again, um, l- let me explain there's an Old Testament prophet New Testament prophet. An Old Testament prophet did this. God spoke to him, and he spoke the word to people. The New Testament prophet, God speaks to us through his word, and then we apply his word to the need wherever it is, we'll say in the church. This, in, in the days of John, in those first hundred years, the prophet was necessary to hear from God to write it down. So the writers of the scriptures were prophets in an Old Testament sense, bringing us into the New Testament. They're um, and when you read Hebrews, it says God in the days past spoke many ways through many means and prophets being one. In these last days, he's spoken to us through his son. So Jesus is the final word. There is no new revelation. Prophets always spoke new revelation. So the last Old Testament prophets were the authors of the New Testament. That, does that make sense? Now, we still have the gift of prophet, but it's taking the word of God already delivered, and Jude says the word once delivered to the saints, and we apply it into the need. Because the prophet will not hold your hand. He will point in your face and say, thou art the man, okay? He will take that scripture, and he will confront you with it and say, hey, the Bible says this is what you ought to be doing, and he calls you to repentance and to obedience. That's kind of the role of a New Testament prophet. Does that make sense to y'all as I explain it? That, oh, I want that to help you because, <clears throat> like I said, it, 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 all the rest is irrelevant. I only point that out, probably went too far with it, but just to say, this is why they listened to her. She claimed to be a prophet. 
And John's going, listen to what she's saying. She's calling you to sin, and you're tolerating it. You can't do that. It was. It was a capital crime. If you prophesied something, it didn't happen. Just allowing it to happen, yeah. Yeah. In the Old Testament, they would have killed her. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And it, go, it goes even a little further, even a, a stronger word in just a second. Um, so, yeah, so we, we've kind of defined, and, and she must have been a part of the church. You understand? She came into the church. For them to even be listening to her, because you're not going to listen to some stranger yelling at you from the street. So she's in the church, and, and they had the same problem we do. Jesus told us a parable about the wheat and the tares, right? So there are tares. I started off by saying there are lost people in the church. Don't be shocked by that. Jesus told you that would happen. They will be cleared up at the judgment. We don't have to worry about it. You know, if we find it, we might have to do something. But So this woman is leading them into sin. You're right, brother. In the Old Testament, they'd have stoned her to death. Um, uh, and, you know, the church doesn't do that, or shouldn't do that. But they shouldn't tolerate it either. They should have called it out, said, you either stop that or you're out of the church. But they were, uh, they were tolerating it. I'm glad you looked at that definition. Thank you, Ms. Janice, for that. Um, I wish everybody could have heard that on the recording. They didn't. Um, notice what he says. Uh, uh, and notice the wording of what, to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Those are two things that the council in, in Acts 15 said, tell Gentiles don't do those two things. Plus two other things, but don't do those two things. Because it was an offense and affront to others. Um, and immorality is wrong for anybody. And then though, it says in verse 21, I gave her time to repent. But she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Now, I think he threw the word sexual in there so that you know he's not talking about uh, uh, adultery against God by following the false religion. She's telling people it is okay to misuse the God-given gift of sex. And, to, and, that, and the way you misuse is do it anything outside of the, the marriage uh, bed. So, um, listen to her judgment. I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation. Now, I, I've got some notes down here. I, I really want to emphasize that word, you tolerate, um, and I think we sort of did that. Um, they recognized this woman was a false prophet, but didn't do anything about it. That goes to the definition that Janice read um, to us. Now, Ephesus, they became harsh. Thyatira is increasing in love and faith, but they're tolerating a false teacher to their detriment. And, and it might have been they were just so loving to everybody, they just got to her and went, well, we'll just love her and the Lord. Well, someone who claims authority teaching a lie needs to be confronted and called out. Okay? Now, somebody can be confused. Um, 
who was confused in the New Testament and, and, and somebody took him aside and helped him out? Apollos, right? Who helped him? Right, and I'm glad you said it that way. We learned about Aquila and Priscilla. This goes back to what I said earlier. Aquila, Priscilla, Aquila, Priscilla. And then when they had to teach Apollos, it says Priscilla and Aquila. Names the woman first. And usually in Greek, the word order is important. So she probably took the lead on, on teaching him. And I like to quote what it says about them a lot of times. And they explain more thoroughly the ways of God to him. So when somebody, you know, tells me what, what I need to do right, I say, well, thank you for explaining more thoroughly the ways of God to me. I needed to hear that. I appreciate it. Um, so we do that for each other. Listen, it is not an insult for somebody to come and say, let me help you with this, okay? That's not an insult. That's a blessing. The Bible says in Psalms of Proverbs, there's a verse that says that, that the kisses of a friend are, are, are truer than the, the, I mean, the wounds of a friend are truer than the kisses of an enemy. And uh, that is very true. And so we don't wound each other. We help each other to grow in Christ and to do right. It feels like a wound at first, but when it's done in love, it is, it is helpful. I go to a uh, dermatologist on Tuesday, and I guarantee you there's a thing on the back of my arm. She's going to cut off and say, yep, we're going to have to do a little bit more with that one. That one's bad. Um, and I'm grateful that they're going to cut my, something off my body. Well, that sounds harsh. You know, well, it is, but it won't eat the rest of my arm. It'll get rid of that cancer, and I'll be glad it's gone. All right, so here we have that he's going to throw her in a sick bed. And in my notes... Um, well, he said, I gave her time to repent. God probably worked some circumstances to point it out, but she refused to listen, and she keeps going. And it could have been John himself. John administered in this church, so it could have been John himself, but we don't know. Um, but look, in verse 22, I will throw her on a sickbed. In Exodus 21, 18, it, it's probably a play on words to contrast a bed of sickness with a bed of adultery. God's going to, he said, oh, you like to, you like to get in the bed a lot, commit adultery? I'm going to throw you on a sick bed. You're going to get sick in that bed. It is a judgment God is declaring on her. And he's wording it in such a way to make an emphasis uh, to her. And anybody who listened to her and followed her is going to be thrown into great tribulation. It doesn't say into the great tribulation. It just says into great tribulation. So this isn't a reference necessarily to the great tribulation at the end of time. He just said, I'm going to give you a hard time if you follow. Um, this, uh, he, uh, I read this, so I wrote it down. I, I couldn't have done this if I hadn't read it somewhere else. Hebrew poetic parallelism to promise affliction for everyone who's accepted this woman's teaching and have compromised in those trade guilds. There, there are Christians, you know, you, you know the, the joke, right, that, that um, Jews don't recognize Catholics, Catholics don't recognize Protestants, and Baptists don't recognize each other in the liquor store. Well, that's what's going on here. Christians are... Um, I know, it's good, isn't it? Christians are... These Christians are going to these trade dinners and committing sin, and they don't think they're going to be found out because everybody in there is a sinner except them. They're, they're a part of the church, but they've got to be in the trade. And so they go to these things, and it ends in some pretty bad stuff. And so they're participating. This woman is advocating that, that it is okay. Um, this, she, she created a lot of trouble. And look at the harshness of verse 21. And that just doesn't sound very Christ-like. 
I'm going to kill her children. What? Did, Lord, did you say that? I'll throw her in a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. Their works, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, and then, and I will strike her children dead. I, I put it under 22. It should have been, uh, yeah, I did put it in 23. I will strike her children dead. I misread it, sorry. And all the churches will know that I, church is, <laughs> all the churches, everybody, all the churches in every city are going to know that I am he who searches the mind and the hearts. And I will give to each of you according to your works. Every sin begins in our mind. That's why the Bible talks about that we can tear down strongholds to set your mind on things above and on things of the earth, set your affection here. I mean, on God's word, the Philippians, um, don't think on these things, but think on these good things. Our mind is where it starts. I've told the story repeatedly. I'm going to say it again. Um, a rapist in Charleston, in North Charleston, actually, he operated for two years. Women would be attacked. It was a certain MO. My cousin was chief of police at the time. And he had a lot of FBI training, so he figured out that the guy had probably been kicked out of the military in a certain year period because a lot of military bases there. And so when he figured all that out, he went to each base and said, I need to know from the Air Force, the Navy, I think those two main ones, and said, did you discharge a man out of the military on these dates for peeping Tom? That was the exact question. And they all said no. When they did catch the guy, he had been thrown out of the Air Force in that time period for peeping Tom. I said, Mickey, why that? He said, because no man wakes up one day and says, I'm going to go rape somebody. He said, it starts with pornography. Well, it really, it starts in your mind. You allow yourself, I'm going to look at that. And he said, and then it starts progressing. Not everyone who looks at porn will wind up being a rapist, but every rapist started back there. And Jesus said, I know your heart, I know your mind. I know what you're thinking and what you will to do. Wow. Yes, because, and good question, and you helped me make the emphasis. So you've got Jezebel and people that are tolerating her, and he's calling them to judge her. It is believed, this isn't her physical children, it means those who've accepted it and are practicing it with her and are saying yes to it. So you've got a church that knows she ought to be addressed but doesn't want to, but then you've got some in the church that are doing it. So if you don't get her, I'm going to get you, and you that have followed her, I'm going to get you. So that's a great question, and that is the distinction um, there. there. And good catch, too. Um, so I will strike your children dead. Uh, these are those who have wholeheartedly committed themselves to the teaching of this false prophet. And all the churches shall know about this false Jezebel, this, or this false prophetess called Jezebel. Um, and God's judgment is a testimony to the fact that he knows our hearts and our minds, as I tried to point out there without saying it. 
how, how, how do you feel about God knowing what you think? <laughs> yeah, Dutton, you're right. Let me ask you this. How many of you just clammed up right there? When, <laughs> One of my life verses is Hebrews 4.12, and it says that the Word of God is alive and active and sharper than a two-edged sword and can divide asunder of joints and marrow of soul and spirit and is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Same two things, what you think and what you intend, your heart being that thing. God's word is correcting. Psalm says, Psalm 119, how shall a young man cleanse his way but taking heed according to thy word. Um, uh, the, the word of God is like a lamp going down the innermost parts of a man, exposing sin. Um, and the, back to the vine and the branches, Jesus said, but you are cleansed when he talked about pruning. Then he said, but you are cleansed through the word I spoke to you. And the word there, cleansed, and the word pruning is the same word. So you can be pruned by God if you'll read his word and let it change your life. And you'll obey it. And so here we see a judgment for those who refuse God's judgment and they won't repent and those things happen. But look at verse 24. It goes even deeper. So I was saying, um, and, and I said it goes even deeper. Just looking for the beginning here. Where'd it go? But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching and who've not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. Now, what are the deep things of Satan? It's, it's the original lie, and I'll tell you how he keeps using the same lie. What are the deep things of Satan? All these false gods promise the same thing. You can be like God. There's stuff God knows and he doesn't want you to know, but we figured it out and you can know it. That's the deep thing to say. This woman's teaching, it's okay. She's teaching false gods and teaching this sinful act is okay because she's saying the gods, God doesn't want you to do it because he wants to ruin your good time, but really it's okay. Those are the deep things of Satan. It's all right. You won't surely die. And he holds up gold, looks like fun for a minute, but at the end, the Bible, the Bible doesn't say sin hurts, the Bible says sin's fun, but at the end, it strikes like a snake. Okay, we were exhausted yesterday, after everything. So, you know what you do when you're exhausted? I don't know what you do, but I know what we do. We turn on the dumbest TV thing we can find. So, we're looking at untold stories of the ER. And this guy goes into the hospital because he kicked a fence post. And after he kicked this fence post, he starts swelling. He's getting worse and worse. He's in the ER. They can't figure out what's going on. Is it infection? They can't figure it out. His daughter comes in, and she's kind of scared to see him. And she goes in and talks to him, and he starts bleeding out of his eyes. And the doctor is like, I don't know what's going on. And said, there must be something on that fence post, some kind of disease we don't know. Said, can you get the fence post he kicked? She said, sure. She put it in a cooler and brought it. They opened the cooler and a rattlesnake was in there. Rattlesnake was up in the pole and when he kicked it, it bit him and they didn't know it. And he was dying. So they just started flooding him with antivenom. He said, give me 24 vials. They said, 24? He said, yes, go get them now. And they started getting antivenom and he survived. That was the untold story of the ER. Listen, Satan says, you can do this, it won't hurt. And the first time it won't. Second time it might not. 
Third time, you're hooked. Choice is lost by choice. You open the door, you go in, and the devil will keep riding you until you get to the end of that. And, and it's a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous thing. And the deep things of Satan is the things he told. Even the garden, he tells us today, there's stuff that you don't know, but I know it, and I will show it to you, and then you'll be like, God, you'll know all things. And that is, that is the lie. Well, future actions, man, time is way past. He says, only hold fast to what you have until I come. He doesn't tell them to do anything new. He said, what you got that you got, hold on to that at least. Don't let go of that. Um, he, wants, he wants them to deal with this woman. But he says in verse, um, oh, it's still in 24. Um, to you I say, do, I, I, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast, verse 25. To what you have until I come. He says, those of you who hadn't bought this lie, hold fast to what you got. Don't let go of what you got that's good until I come. Hang on to that. And, uh, and he, he said, I don't, I'm not telling you to do anything new. Now, why would he say that? Well, it may be, uh, again, uh, uh, referring back to Acts 15, where they told uh, the, the Gentiles who are being saved, um, don't eat meat sacrificed to idols or drink the blood or have, you know, with the blood and the meat. Don't commit immorality, and there was one other. What was it? I forgot what it was. So it, it may be just keep doing that. I don't, I'm not going to give you anything else you got to do. Oh, sexual immorality, don't, yeah, don't eat anything strangled. You know, cut its throat, bleed it out. Um, so he said, I'm not going to add anything to that. Hold on to that. That's, that's all you got to know. And so this is probably where we get the hint. There might have been some Jews there going, hey, you guys got to be Jews like us before you can be Christians. And he's like, no, you don't. Don't, don't worry about them. Um, but look at the, uh, um, man, there's, uh, there's some good stuff in here. Look at verse 26, the, the promise to the conquerors. I, I can't stop. If you've got to go, please feel free. The, the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end to him I will give authority over the nations. I've already read to you Acts 2. The nations belong to Christ. And he told, and the Father told Christ, now you sit down until I make all your enemies your footstool. The nations will become his footstool. Here we're promised the one who conquers, I will give authority over the nations. Why? Because we are going to be co-reigning with Christ. That's not quite the right words to use. But we, we are co-heirs with Christ, and he is going to give us a place of ruling as well. We will rule with him. It would be a better way for me to put that. Um, and look at Matthew uh, 19.28. I never thought about this, and I read this here. Uh, I caught this in a commentary and went, oh, my goodness. Because I said something the first night, and some people didn't agree with me, and that's fine. Like I said, you can disagree. That's not a problem. I tell you what the conservative truth is. Jesus is coming back bodily, and that is true. We just don't know exactly when. But in Matthew 19 and verse 28, and my pages won't separate. Verse 28, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, 
In the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. That's the words of Jesus. There are Christians that think Jews get a break. They don't. They're going to be saved, they've got to come to Jesus. Then they get to sit and judge those who tried to get to heaven by the works of the law instead of by faith. Two ways to heaven. Keep the law of God perfectly or let Jesus take away your sin. And so far, the only person who kept the law of God perfectly was Jesus. So he's our representative. He died for us, and I'll take Jesus, okay? You can keep doing all that law stuff. Quit eating your shrimp and your bacon and... Don't wear wool blends and cotton blend clothes and don't, don't shave your beard. Don't cut your hair, you know, off square. You've got to let it go. Or you can just accept Jesus. And I'm, I'm going to pick Jesus, okay? Um, I don't have to do all the law because I've already blown all, everything in the law. The Bible says if you've broken one thing in the law, you've broken all of it. It comes as a whole package. My, my granddaughter learned that verse in Awana, and she was six then, or I think. Uh, when she, they first came here, and she went home, and her mom said, what's, what's your Bible verse? said, uh, he who is uh, guilty of breaking one part of the law is guilty of all of it. And she followed that up by saying, but well, we know that's not true. <laughs> and and, and Savannah said, why would you say that's not true? She said, well, that just doesn't make any sense. She, just, she was just reasoning it out. If you just do one thing wrong, that means you did everything wrong. And so then Savannah had to explain to her what that means, that, that the law comes as a whole and you break one part, you're guilty of all of it. You don't have to be guilty of the worst thing in the law. You just got to be guilty of breaking any part of it and you're guilty. It's just you're guilty. And so all of us have done it. We're all guilty and we need Christ. And so I just thought that was an interesting verse. It's repeated in Luke 22:30. if you need it a second time. Paul re-expresses it in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 2. So as premillennialists, which we all are, uh, we see this fulfillment in Revelation 24 during the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. Because what happens after the thousand-year reign? What did you say? Yeah, okay. I, I heard it over here, but I, I make sure you didn't say something different. Yeah, he makes a brand new heaven and a brand new earth. I don't know about y'all. I grew up on the coast, lived on the coast most of my life. And a day doesn't go by that my wife and I don't go. Oh my gosh, did you see the mountains? They are so beautiful. Can you believe God lets us live here? We love it. We love the views. We love how beautiful it is. This is the fallen one. It looks this good, and this is the one affected by sin. Can you imagine how, no, you can't actually, but can you imagine how awesome it's going to be when it makes it all brand new? Man, that is going to be some cool stuff, isn't it? I can't wait. I can't wait for that. Well, um, so in verse 27, we see the power of the Messiah, and we've got to go. So let me just, uh, oh, can't read Revelation if I'm still in Matthew, can I? So uh, verse 20, 27, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and that's out of Acts, I mean, Psalm 2, as when, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. So Jesus is letting us know, according to Philippians, He's going to be given a name above every name. He will, when it says he'll break the nations with a rod of iron, 
Um, he just means he will take away their power and he will rule. Um, he's not going to kill everybody in that nation. The saints are safe. Uh, and, and then he'll set up that reign. So the victorious rule of the Messiah is a gift given to him by his father. It's in Acts chapter 2 because of what he did and also Philippians chapter 2. And then the last verse I gave you some references for. Um, not the last verse, but next to the last verse. And I will give him, uh, sorry, and I will give him the morning star. Who will he give to the morning star to? To the one who conquers, right? So, those verses are about the morning star. And, and I was going to read them, but we are way past time. Um, but the morning star is mentioned in those places. Um, and it refers to Christ. Um, and a commentary I read, he, he was struggling with that. But Jesus is our reward to know him. Psalm, um, Song of Solomon, which, um, you know, prepare yourself if you're going to read that book. But um, chapter 2, verse 16 and chapter 6, verse 3 says, I am my beloved's and he is mine. We, we, we don't own Jesus like we think of that word. But we belong to him, and he belongs to us. He is our, he's our God, he's our savior, he's our ruler, but he's also our brother, he's our husband. We are the bride of Christ. We belong to him, he belongs to us. And so that reference, I don't know why I was struggling with that. We, he is the morning star. He is the bright morning star, and he's ours, and we are his. And then it ends with the same thing he ends every for him that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So there's a lot in there for us about where do we uh, allow compromise in our life. And uh, you can't witness to a lost person without getting around a lost person, right? So, so understand that balance. I'm not saying you should never be around people doing bad things. But what I'm saying is you should never compromise. You should never call it okay. And you should love them and tell them about Jesus, right? Um, I've been around people, I, before I knew my wife, I was engaged to a, another girl, and her, her dad was a functional alcoholic, and I went to visit him, he lived in, they lived down near New Orleans in Hammond, Louisiana, and he was a functional alcoholic, so he was home, and he got his drink, and he, and he apologized to me, he said, I, I'm sorry, son, you know, to be drinking in front of you, and I said, Mr. Lipscomb, I would never tell a man what to do in his own home, and I said, but Jesus loves you. That's who you need is Jesus, because he can satisfy. And he liked me for some reason. I don't know why. Um, but thank God that girl broke up with me. So um, I'd be a divorced man if I'd have married her. I, I, so praise the Lord. And God had something a lot better for me, and her name is Janice. She's right there. Let's pray. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Uh, you are the great morning star. You are the authority. You are God of God. There is no other God but you. We serve you and you alone. Lord, you are, we, we want to be pure in heart. We want to only see you when we look. We only want to serve you when we serve. And Lord, we, we want to be like the Thyatirans and growing in love and service and patience and, and, and compassion for people. But Lord, we don't want to get uh, to that point where uh, we tolerate what we see as absolute wickedness. And someone who claims to be a part of the church, trying to lead people, to into sin needs to be corrected and dealt with and so lord give us that balance and help us to see that help us to call out sin where it's where it, where we see it and call people to repentance and help us to um, 
to tell the sinner, hey, we, we found the answer. We found the guy that can forgive all that you've ever done. And he loves you and he wants you to know him and love him. And he'll be yours and you can be his. Um, just help us, Lord, not to be like Thyatira in that. And, uh, and, and help us to deal with it in a way that we should uh, when it's in front of us. In Jesus' name, amen.